Good evening. You got your copy of God's Word. I'd like you to turn to Colossians 1. Uh, we'll be in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is, a, this is a third installment on this passage uh, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So third and, and um, most likely the last one here, and then we'll move on into the next uh, passage. But, but here's what Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, He being Christ Jesus. The firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and by Him, for Him. Excuse me. And He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything that he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was, was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Let's pray. God my father I thank you Lord so much for your word. And I pray Lord that tonight. God, that you would use me as, as your instrument, Father, your mouthpiece, Father, that you will do uh, with, your, with your words, your truth, what man cannot do alone, Father, that you will use this to pierce the very hearts, stony hearts of men and women, Father. I pray, Lord, that you will break our hearts, Father, that we would uh, have pliable hearts, Father, that would submit to your word, Father, and see it, believe it as truth. God, I love you and I thank you. It's all in Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. You know, and so, so I mentioned that this would be the third installment uh, from this passage. The first two that we did, we really focused on two very controversial phrases uh, in church history that comes from this passage. One phrase was the firstborn of all creation. The second phrase, that he would reconcile all things to himself. And uh, as we did those, uh, if you missed those, maybe to go back, if, if those two phrases give you some, um, you know, confusion and conflict, go back and watch those. But uh, as we did, hopefully you saw clearly um, God's message in these verses do not conflict with fundamental principles um, that we hold dear. Namely, that Jesus is God of all creation. That we see that clearly throughout Scripture. So there's no contradiction in that phrase that He's the firstborn of all creation. And like I said, if you, I, I believe that, that we saw that clearly when we went over it. And the, the second thing was with that, that other phrase, reconcile to Himself all things, that, that we, don't, we don't get a misconception uh, because there's some that are universalists and they think there's not going to be any judgment, that there's not going to be any wrath to come. And, and I believe that that is clearly something that we see throughout Scripture that is taught that there will be judgment and that there will be eternal punishment for those who do not uh, repent and believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So before, before I took on this passage in, in really where we're at now, we're going to talk about uh, this Scripture in its completeness. I wanted to make sure that we discuss those two phrases. 
um, that, that may have really, that have hamstrung people throughout church history. But tonight, I want to look at the passage as a whole. So what does this passage mean? You know, what is at the heart of this passage? What's its main message? It is definitely one of my favorite. And to be honest with you, there's some of my favorite preachers that have preached much better on this subject than, than I'm going to preach tonight. And, you know, if you get the chance to uh, watch or listen to uh, men like John Piper preach on the supremacy of Christ, how He is supreme over all things, then you need to definitely do so. But do you believe that? Do you believe in His supremacy? That He is over and in control? I don't know if... I, I believe that any point in church history that this, that this topic is so needed. It is so needed to understand um, for, for us as believers who is in control. And, and, I, and I definitely would say it's definitely relevant in our day today. Maybe more so today than any other time in our lifetime that we see a world that needs to understand that they have a God, a Creator that is in control and that He is good. And, and so, so do you believe that He's supreme? Do you really believe that He is preeminent? We saw that word in this text. Preeminent. Do you know that the word imminent, that it means that someone is distinguished? But do you know that preeminent means that that, that is, it surpasses all others? That preeminence means that it stands alone. If something or someone is preeminent, they stand alone in rank and supremacy. They are above all. They are superior. They are incomparable. If you are preeminent, you are incomparable to anything else. What Paul is emphasizing in this passage is that Christ is supreme over all things. And as he does, Paul is going to mention some very specific things by name in this passage. And I believe that this is very important that we kind of key into what is he saying Christ is preeminent over? Now he mentions all things. We know all things. But he also specifically mentions some. So I will briefly discuss some of those tonight as we look at the preeminence of Christ. And so what I've done is I've broken this up. And I, I did an outline. So some of y'all have it. It is it's sitting back there by, by our guards back there. You know, that, that Coach Means, now he, he mentioned three. You know, now I would say that the kingpin's probably Caleb back there. And, because I would put TK in that group. You know, she's, uh, she's definitely in that group, the strong arms that work for the kingpin. And TK, hey, Caleb, Caleb is the one in charge, ain't he? He always, you know. So, so here, he'll tell you too, you know. So, so look, um, let's look. The first thing that, you know, so if y'all wanna, if y'all want, it's a, um, it's just an outline that you can make some notes on if you want one. Y'all feel free to go, go grab one. I don't think they'll keep y'all from it. They'll probably hand you one. But, uh, but here the first thing that we want to look at, he is preeminent. That means he's supreme 
He is incomparable. He is over all creation. That's one of the things that, it, that the text clearly says that Christ made all things. Not some things, but all things. But not only that, it also says that all things were made for Him. So He didn't just make all things, that He made them with a purpose that they would be for Him. They were meant to be made specifically for Christ. So we see that He created, and what He created has its purpose in Him. That, that right there is two of the three. I always talk about with, with my kids at school, I always say, you, you know, every single individual has to answer these three questions. They're all good. Everybody's going to ask these three questions. They're going to ask these three questions. Where did we come from? Right? You look around and that's going to be just a, you know, where did we come from? And then, and then here's another question you know you're going you're gonna to have as you look at life. You're going to see, okay, well, I see people dying. What happens when we die? And then, and then the other obvious question is, what are we doing here? What is our purpose? Those three questions every human being, I believe, you know, is going to wrestle with. And, and we see two of the answers right here. Two of the three answers to those three questions are right here in this text that not only do we know where we come from, is we come from Him. We come from Christ. He is Creator. But we also know that what, what our purpose is, is that we're here for Him. And so, and we need to, we need to grab a hold of that. It doesn't stop there though that, that we're made by Him and for Him, but it also says that that He is before all things. Before all things. That is speaking of His supremacy. That He reigns, that He ranks above all things. He is not just a God that has created the universe and then He sits back and watches it. Because some believe that. They're, they believe in deism. That He, yes, they believe it's hard to, it really is hard to deny the, the rabbit holes that you have to get to to deny that there's a Creator at all. That it is a, it is a, it, that's it. It's a, it's a goose chase, right? So, so many end up as they, as they chase that idea, they end up to a point where, okay, okay, well, maybe there is a creator. But then, but then they look at the world around them, they look at the chaos, and they look at the sin, they look at the disease, and they're like, well, it must be that this creator just created it, and then they just sit back and they watch. And that's where some people land, unfortunately. But, but that's, that's not what it says in this text. No, He doesn't just sit back. He, he reigns over it. He rules over it. He is the main player in it and He controls it all. There's not one piece of it, not one thread that's out of place that He doesn't rule over and watch over and has His, has his hand sovereignly over and on. It says that He holds it all together. That which would mean that without Him, it would just all disintegrate into nothingness without His hand on it. That you could not take your next breath and that your heart would not beat another time without His command. That the sun would cease to shine or, or cease to exist altogether. That all things have their being in Him and they have their purpose 
in Him as well. Whether, to be honest, whether they admit it or not, that the truth remains. For some were made to be vessels, we see in Romans, of honor. And others were made to be vessels of wrath. Thus saith the word of the Lord. Our selected passage tonight, it declares, declares some very interesting things about Christ in creation. It says that He made all things in heaven and on earth. And then it goes to say visible and invisible. So when we see the visible things of the universe, or that even could be visible, and what I mean by that is that that with the naked eye that we may not can see all, we know that we cannot see all that God created in the universe, that we're too small. And we've had to use telescopes and we've had to send telescopes into uh, outer space and to reach, you know, this, the far reaches of outer space and it, and those teleco- telescopes can't see it all. But we know that He has created all these things that we could see with the naked eye. And that we can't even see with the naked eye. And Genesis 1 speaks of the creation story and that as, as in the Hebrew puts it, Elohim, Elohim is the plural name of God created heavens and the earth. We also see in Genesis 1 that Elohim, it says that God, Elohim, said, let us make man in our image. And we spoke about that. After our likeness, we we know that that is speaking to the triune God. That Elohim is the representation of the triune God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it says, so we can see that everything that we can see and potentially see has been created by Him and through Him and for Him. Him being Christ. In Romans 11.36, it says it like this, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. In Nehemiah 6, it says it like this as far as creation goes. You are the Lord. You alone is the only one. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all of their hosts. All of the angels, the cherubim, the seraphim, the earth and all that is on it, seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. And the host of heaven worships you. You know that Jesus made the heavens and the earth and all that is within them. To the deepest parts of the sea, to the most outer reaches of to the heavens and the space, all the stars. He hung them all. He knows them all by name. Not one of them burns out with his, without His command. In the book of Jonah, we see the God who is over all nature. We see God command a fish to swallow a man. We see that He commands a plant in Jonah to grow for shade, and then we see that He commands a worm to kill it. We see in Job 28-25, it says this, when He gave the wind its weight and appointed the waters by measure. Y'all listen real close. As we speak of these things that, because there's going to be a lot of spoken word right from, right from God tonight. 
And what I, what I hope y'all do is that y'all will jot these verses down as I read them in the appropriate space if, you have, if you're taking those notes. But listen, be, be amazed at your God tonight. That is why that, that I feel like this message is so important is to look at the God that we serve, that we believe in. If, if you believe that this is gospel truth, is, is to be amazed at the one who has, he has everything in his hands. And so to look at this world that, that seems to be in such utter chaos and to know that our God is sovereign, to know that he is in control, that Christ reigns supreme today is what the church needs. Listen what it says. When he made a decree for, for the rain, he, he decrees the rain. That's a weatherman, right? God decrees the rain and a way for, for the lightning of the thunder. Do you know that Jesus Christ commanded the storm to cease? Jesus Christ walked on the water. He is the God of all nature. There is not a lightning bolt that comes down in a particular spot without Him decreeing it, commanding it. There is no issue too small. In Matthew 10, 29, it says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father. Think about that for a second. He's saying, look how insignificant that these two sparrows are. You can buy two of them for one penny. In the, in the grand scheme of things, the way that we look at them, those sparrows are as nothing. But that one of them, they can't even fall to the ground and die without a command from God Almighty Himself. That He cares so much about the small things. And then it goes on to say, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He cares so much for His creation. He cares so much for you. He knows you so well. He knows you intimately. And He knew you before the foundations of the world. He knew you. He knew you intimately. Jesus knew all that the woman of the well ever did, she said. He told me all that I ever did. He knew her. Somebody could have asked Him on the cross your name and He could have told you stuff about you that you have forgotten about yourself. It's how much He knows, how intimately He knows us. Our plans, our, your plans that you make, my plans that I make are all in the hands of of our God. Listen what Proverbs 20:24 20, says. A man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his way? A man's steps are from God. James 4:13 reminds us it says, "Come now, you who say to today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life?" For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We are but a vapor, right? Instead that we ought to say it like this. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. That it is 
ultimately up to Him. We can make our plans, but He is the one that is in control of all things. It is His plans that cannot be thwarted, could not be set aside. And in that is a great hope for us. Life and death is in His hands. In 1 Samuel 2.6, it says it like this, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down Sheol. He brings down Sheol and raises up. Jesus, He, he said the words to Lazarus, Come forth, and He came. Jesus has the words. He, he commands life and death. He raised Lazarus, then He raised Himself. Disabilities are in the hands of God. In Exodus 4.11, it says this, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I the Lord? And we also see that Jesus healed the mute, the blind, the deaf, the crippled, and the diseased. He is sovereign over it all. Calamity. Destruction. God is in control of that as well. Amos 3.6, it says it like this. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid. Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? It is all in His hands. He controls it all. Not one city would be destroyed without His sovereign hand over it. Not one life taken. Not one moment too soon. Evil. And listen, church, God is not, God is not evil. And God does not sin. But even evil is in the hands, sovereignly in the hands of God Almighty. If you don't believe me, then you really don't believe the Bible, to be honest. Psalm 105.17 He had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. He, being God Almighty, sent a man ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. And y'all know the story of Joseph, right? Sold into slavery. Okay, his brothers, you know... Um, Sold, them, sold their own brother into slavery and told their father that he was dead. But it was God's sovereign hand that was on his life and that would raise him out of the pit that would put him eventually as the second hand right there. Right there to Pharaoh in Egypt. And then when, their bro when his brothers thinking that he was dead or a slave, when they were uh, desperate for food, in a, in a time of famine, and they go to Egypt, there he is, none other than Joseph. They realize who it is, and they fear for their life. And Joseph, with all the power that he could have them sent to prison or executed for what they did, in Genesis 50-20, he says this, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about... That many people should be kept alive as they are today. God's hand over all that situation. What they meant for evil, God turned around and used evil for good. He is over all creation. 
It also said that He is over the invisible. Listen, listen. The invisible. The things that we cannot see. Those things that, that are spiritual. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, including the seraphim and the cherubim. And He is sovereign over them all. In Romans 8, 37-39, He is over it all. Listen to what it says. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us. None of those things would have more control than God Himself. The things that we cannot see, those powers and principalities, those demonic spirits do not have control over Christ, over God Himself. He has control over them. They can do nothing aside of what God allows them to do. We saw that when, when Satan goes to God the Father and he's wanting to tempt Job. He's wanting to take from Job and he can only do what God allowed him to do. For God reigns supreme. Our Christ is preeminent over government. Thank God He is preeminent over government. Over all authority placed here on earth. Listen to what Psalm 47, 8 says. God reigns over the nations. God sits on His holy throne. In Proverbs 21, 1, it says like this. The king's heart is a stream of water. In the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He will. It's not that, that those kings and presidents aren't responsible when they sin, but God is ultimately in control. He can turn it wherever He wants to. For Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and then what did God do? God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. We saw that in the Word. And we believe the Word is true. I hope you do. In Exodus 3.19 it says, But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, He will let you go. But God had other plans too. So, so even though that the Pharaoh would let them go, He wanted to harden the heart of Pharaoh. And so in Exodus 9-12 it says, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and He did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Because it's all part of His planning. His masterpiece and His timing. There's nothing that, that, will, that will happen outside of His will that He doesn't allow to happen. It is all in His great plan of redemption and providence. We see in a couple of New Testament verses about government and authority. In Romans 13, 1 and 2 it says this, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Listen closely to this. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. And the only right that we have as believers to resist the governing authorities is if 
if what they if what they command directly goes against what God commands. And then we must obey God rather than men. In Colossians 2.10, speaking of Christ, it says it like this, and you have been filled in Him, Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. He's over it all. He reigns supreme over it all. Christ is also preeminent over the church. The body of Christ. It says it. The body of Christ. It's His. In, in the, the Scripture that we just read, the, the passage that we started with, it says that Christ is the head of the church. In Ephesians 5, where it speaks of marriage so beautifully, in, in Ephesians 5, 22-24, it says it like this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In 1 Peter 5.4, Peter calls Jesus... Somebody get me some water. He calls Jesus the chief shepherd. That means that he is the chief shepherd over his flock. And so, you know, there, there is that, um, that is their debate. There is debate among some of what Jesus meant when he said, He'll, I'll build my church on this rock. When he's speaking to Peter, and I believe Peter makes it clear here from his own mouth who the church is built on. And who, who should be followed? He calls him the chief shepherd. Peter's saying, I'm not the chief shepherd. Christ is the chief shepherd. He's the cornerstone, right? And so I, I don't think, I think that should end the debate. But also, what do we see from Christ on mouth in Matthew 16, 18? He says this, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock. And, and our, when we went to, um, thank you, Brian. When we went to uh, Maranatha for our session meeting, um, association meeting, you know the um, the the man who was preaching, um, that's what he was preaching on this verse, and he was talking about that that he says, "You Petra, little rock," he says, "I build, I will build, you know, my church on this rock." which is Petros, which means big rock. And so that's what he's saying. He said, you little rock, I will build my church on the big rock himself, the cornerstone. And so, so here Christ, and then he goes on to say in that same verse, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. It's Christ's church. It's not Peter's church. It's the church that Christ built. It is He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone. And it says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He is preeminent. He reigns. If there's a question, it is His church. It, the direction that we go is not my direction or Tony's direction or Brian's direction or the deacon's direction. It should be that all of our direction 
is pointed to Christ. And if our direction is not pointed at Christ, then don't follow our direction. You correct our, our direction. Is that we should preach Christ and Him crucified every time we come into this pulpit or we follow the wrong direction. That it should be based on what Tony was preaching this morning, truth. And if we're just, if we're just giving you some kind of vanilla sermons that do not preach the truth of God, that do not set free, because if it is not the truth of God, if it's not the gospel truth, then it will not set men and women free. If it is just pleasing to the ears, it will not do what it was intended to do because it is not the gospel truth. And it will be just lip service. But if it is the gospel truth, and we are building this church on His gospel message, it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates of hell. There were thousands that left Jesus at one time. Thousands that left Him. He looked up, there were twelve. He didn't give up, did He? Because He knew. He knew the truth. And He knew, He knew the plan. And He knew that redemption would come. And He fulfilled he submitted to the Father's will and He fulfilled His, His role. And He continues to fulfill that role today as He intercedes on our behalf. We are not a defeated church, but rather we serve a sovereign King. And as long as we preach gospel truth and we live by it, then to be honest with you, it doesn't matter if, if there's only a few of us. It doesn't matter. If we preach the gospel truth and that we live by it and we share it with others, He is preeminent over that. He is preeminent over crucifixion, the crucifixion and the redemption. Listen to this, Acts 2.23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. I love how it says this. This Jesus, not some other Jesus, it's this Jesus, because there's a lot of people that preach different Jesus today. And we need to know that it is this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan. The plan, definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Let me ask you this. Those that killed Jesus, were they in sin? Yes. You cannot kill the Son of God without sinning. You cannot rip out the beard of the Son of God without sinning and spit on Jesus without sinning. You have sinned. But yet it says that it was by the definite plan of God Almighty. The plan of God. Even evil, even evil is in the hands of our sovereign God. He does not sin. He does not do evil. But does He allow it to bring His sovereign plan to being? Yes. That's what His Word says right there. Isaiah 53.10 And the prophecy of the coming suffering servant. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush Him. He has put Him to grief when His soul makes an offering for guilt. Why? Because He'd be most glorified. It was the moment in history on the cross and through the resurrection that you see 
The power of God Almighty like you've never seen it before. Magnified in truth. Magnified in wrath. Magnified in love. Magnified in mercy and grace. Like never before. It was at that moment like never before that God Almighty was glorified like never before. That the plan came to fruition. That He would redeem His His people, His elect. That He would take them. Because that's what He had promised the Son. And that's what the Son prayed for in the garden. That God would give Him. Give Him those you promised Me. And by doing that will, He goes goes in suffering, but He goes in joy. To do the will of the Father. It was painful, but it was worth it. It was worth it. And when before Pilate, the governor, the one that that placed in authority that had all the control, right? That Pilate could either have Jesus crucified or Pilate could have Him set free. So Pilate said to Jesus, You will not speak to Me? Because Jesus was like the Lamb led to the slaughter of the silent Lamb. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. And as John Piper put it, If God could not plan the murder of His Son, then we could not be saved. Because if He left it up to chance, if God in the beginning when He plans this, and it was foreplanned, if God left it up to chance, then that means that there was a chance that redemption would not happen. Our God did not leave it up to chance. He did not leave it up to chance. And we can see what happens in the, in the end as a result because it tells us what's going to happen. In Romans 9.15, it says like this, for He says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on who I have compassion. So then, listen closely church, if you wonder who holds, who holds the plan of redemption and who holds the plan of salvation, listen to what the Word of God speaks. It depends not on human will or exertion. Not on what church? Not on human will. Because if it was left up to human will, do you know what we would choose? We've chosen it all our life. Even knowing truth, we've chosen it all our life. What have we chosen time and time again? Here before you is sin. And this is what I've told you people is to choose life, to choose goodness you know, here are the Ten Commandments. And don't do this. This will lead, this will lead to death. And here is life. And what have we done time and time again? We have chosen death time and time again. We've been told that this is the route that we need to take. We've been told that. And what do we do? We choose something other than God. We commit idolatry every time. We say we know better and we sin every single time. But yet, listen how this story ends. It says that it is. That's not the end of the story because it says, but it's on God. Where does it, where does it go? Who you will have compassion on? Who will have mercy on? But God, thank God that it's not up to us. But it says, but on God who has mercy. It is up to 
He has mercy and compassion on. And then in Acts 13, 48, if that's not enough to convince us, and when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying through the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed, y'all know what that means, right? Beforehand. Appointed beforehand to eternal life believed. As many as God appointed to eternal life, those are the ones who believed. He appointed them. Appointed them. Chose them beforehand. And as many as He appointed to eternal life, those are the ones who believed. That's what the Word of God says. I fought against that all my life. Until I finally said, i got to choose to either believe my opinion or the Word of God, and I choose to believe the Word of God. Thank God that He is sovereign over my salvation because... If it was up to me, I would choose death. But He opened my eyes. He did. It says that faith is a gift. And He gave me the gift of faith. And thank God that my eyes were open and I could see. Because if not for God, I would be condemned. Listen to what John 17, 24 says when He is in the garden praying, Father, I desire that they also, whom You've given me. That means the Father gave Him these. Here's these that you give me. May be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And he gave them before the foundation of the world that they may be saved, the elect, the chosen. That's what he says. That's what God Almighty says. Romans 8.29 says this, For those who he foreknew, and that word foreknew means he knew intimately, he also predestined. Predestined means predetermined. God predetermined. To be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be called the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, guess what? If you've been predestined, guess what? It says, those whom He predestined, He also called. So if He predestined you, He called you. And then, okay, well what next? Those whom He called, He also justified. So all those who were predestined, guess what? They're called. And all those who called, guess what? They're, they're justified. Like we, we have no reason to boast whatsoever. God has saved us. We were the damsel in distress on the railroad tracks, tied up. We didn't even know that we were on the tracks. We were just living life happy. Living life blinded. And God swoops down. He is the hero of the story and He takes us off the tracks. He takes us off that road of destruction. And it says this, those who were justified, those whom He justified, He also glorified. Thank God Almighty that He doesn't leave us where we are. And then, Ephesians 2. Starting with verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, He's rich in mercy. Go to Him, He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Listen to what it says, church. You got, you got reason to shout tonight. It says He made you alive. You were dead and He made you alive. Did you do that yourself, church? Did you give yourself? Did you make yourself reborn in your spirit? Can I make myself born again? No, it is a... When you were born again, it is something that God did inside of you. He made you alive. He's the one that showed you the way. Paul on the road to Damascus was not looking to be a Christian. He was looking to kill Christians. And then God made him a Christian. 
And Paul had no reason to boast. Paul writes this. He knew what it was like to be dead in his trespasses. He knew what it was like to be in a cold, dead religion. And think that it was something that he did on his own. That he could be good enough to get to heaven on his own. He knew what that was like. And then he knew what it was like to be slain. He knew what it was like to be open to the fact that he's a sinner like all and he's the chief sinner of all. He knows what it's like now. He knew that it was nothing that he could do in himself. He knew that it was all God. It was God that reached down and gave him a new heart. That created in him a clean heart. That he had done nothing to boast at all. And that it was by God's compassion and God's mercy that he would be a Christian, a Christ follower for the rest of the days. And that he would have eternal life and that he now worships at the feet of his King Jesus. That, that is what we need to shout about tonight, church. That it is not a world in chaos. That it is a world that is at the hands and the mercy that it is at the it is in the hands of a sovereign God. And it makes us alive together with Christ. In verses 8 and 9 it says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's by grace is something you don't deserve. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Church, He is preeminent over all things. In Proverbs 16.33, it says it like this, The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Every decision. That, that is like saying, as I roll the dice on the table, that every play is decided by God. That's how John Piper puts it. That every play is decided by God. Even the roll of a dice? Yes, that's what it says. Sovereign over it all. The leaf as it falls from the tree, as it lays on the ground, the side it laid on was the side that God Himself commanded that it would lay on. It's all in His hands. Ephesians 1.11 says it like this, In Him we have obtained an inheritance an inheritance, having been predestined, predetermined, according to the purpose of Him who works all things. Church, it says all things according to the counsel of His will. His will. Psalm 115.3 says this, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Guys, listen. You're, you do have a freedom to choose, but let me tell you what your freedom of choice will never, ever, ever supersede. It will never supersede God's sovereignty. It will never supersede God's sovereignty. Because I'm going to tell you, church, and, and I'm thankful that it doesn't, but, but I'm going to tell you, church, if you believe that your human will can overtake God's sovereignty, then you don't serve a God who's completely sovereign. You don't, then that means He's not sovereign. That means there's things that are outside of His control. And to be honest with you, I'd say you'd be arguing against a ton of Scripture. 
if you believe that there's something that's outside of God's control. Job 42.2, it says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He purposes it, it will happen. Daniel 4.35 says this, All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? They can't say it. They can't say, what have you done? They can say it, but they do not have, they, they cannot change it. They have no, they have no right to say it. They can say it, but they dishonor God. I'm going to leave you with this tonight, church. Our Christ reigns and He will always reign. He reigns and He will always reign. In Revelation 5, I'm going to read this chapter and I'm going to end with what I believe our response should be. <clears throat> Revelation 5, starting in verse 1, it says this. You know, John the Revelator, he sees these visions. And in this one, he sees the throne in heaven. And this is what he sees. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with the seven seals. And y'all know, until those seven seals are opened, that, that this is a world that will remain in sin and disease, and that, that redemp full redemption hasn't come, full, the full glorified body will not come. Those things all have to come to pass. And so we wait, we wait for those seven seals to be to be opened up so that finally the things that we've waited on for so long will come to pass. But listen what John sees. So he sees that scroll sealed with the seven seals and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? Who's worthy? We've had, we have to have one that's worthy. So, so all the time that we wait we wait as human beings. We wait for that glorious day. And we wait to see a, a, a world that no longer has sin in it. A, a body that no longer has sin in it. And we wait for a, a mind that's truly, completely like Christ. That we, that we wait for that time where there's no more disease. And listen to what it said in verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. What a sad scene for John if it would have stopped there. That that's the, the hope of the world is that those seven seals be broken and that scroll be opened up so that finally, that, that what the curse that started all the way back in the garden would finally be completely wiped away. And that we would have shalom, peace once again. But then it says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Or here we see the line of the tribe of Judah and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain 
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took that scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, what did they do? They fell, they fell down and they worshipped before the Lamb. They each were holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense that are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song and they said this, they sang, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open up its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's our commission, right? That we would go to the outermost reaches of the world and that we would take the gospel message to these people from every tribe and language and nation. And that those that were from every one of those languages and nations, that He had some that He had preordained from before the world began that He called mine and I'm going to have them. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. What a scene. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy. He is worthy despite all your problems. He is still worthy. Because you see Him as problems, but they're, they're, in, they're, they're things that are in the hands of a sovereign Lord. And all the issues that you face, He is still worthy. He's worthy to be praised. He has your life in His hands. And it says this, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and they worshipped. Amen. Let us worship like that, the King of kings, our, our slain Lamb, our Lion of Judah tonight, today. Every day forth till we see Him face to face. Our response, church. What if we lived our life? Listen close. This is the end. What if we lived our life believing that all of these Scriptures about God's sovereignty are true? What if you lived your life believing that all those things that we read tonight are true? That he has, he has control over all things. They're all in His hands. How would we react to every so-called misfortune in our life? How would we react? Every slight or every offense given to us by someone else, how would we react if we know that, uh, that everything that happens is His in His plan, in His timing? That everything that happens is in His control for our life. And that He is good and sovereign in control of it all. How will we react to every storm and every disease? I wonder how our prayer life would change if we believed this to be true. I wonder how vibrant our worship would become 
if we knew that He was in control of everything and that we had nothing to fear. I wonder how bold that we would be as believers if we believed the Scripture that we read tonight. How much more like Christ we would become if we truly believe these words and they would be written upon our hearts. I believe that no doubt, no doubt in my mind that if we believe these words to be true and they resonated deep inside our hearts that He writes them on our hearts tonight that revival in our hearts would come. Revival in our lives will come if we believe these words to be true. Speak them, preach them to yourself every day that you serve a sovereign God and He's in control of every step that you take. Preach them to yourself each day that you serve a sovereign and good God and that there is nothing that you need to fear because He holds your future. Believe that church. Go forth and preach the truth to those and live the truth and love people and show mercy and compassion and grace to people. Show that to people today. They need it. They're, they are in a world that all that's, that's shown to them is that the world is in chaos. And you need to remind them that you know a Savior and the Lord that has everything in, in control. That is all in His timing and His plan. It's all in His hands. It's all in His hands. If those, if our, if our people who would um, come up that are going to play the scene, I'm going to pray. And then I, I pray that you not let your heart move on and your mind move on for these next few moments to what you're doing tomorrow. I want you to ponder the things that were spoken of tonight. And I want you to think about how that should affect how we live, how we speak, how we act, how we pray, how we read, how we study, how we share. Let's pray. God, my Father, I thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that it wasn't it wasn't just emotion, Father, that came out tonight, but it was emotion because of truth. God, I pray, Lord, that, that we would be stirred because of truth and not because of the passion from a man or the words from a man, God, but the words from You, Father. I pray, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit will take these words because I know as loud as I shouted them, Father, that they... That, that if they fell on deaf ears and they did not sink into the heart, and that's something that only You can do, that is a gift from You, Father. God, if they do that, then, then it was meaningless, Father. But if they, if they penetrate into the soul, Father, then God, You have done a great work, and You alone. God, I love You and I thank You. It's all in Christ's name I pray. Amen.